0: Today's theme is the theme of love, as we're celebrating Advent, and I'm going to uh, jump right into it. The greatest truth in all the world, I believe, is that God, the one who, who made us, and the one to whom we will return one day, loves us. God loves us. And I'm quite sure that many who find themselves in a church gathering this Sunday know that Jesus loves them. You probably know that. They know that God is love. They know that there is a Heavenly Father above that cares for them as dear children And for those who grew up attending church, this might be the most fundamental truth you learned. Or maybe even the first song that you learned. You know, Jesus loves me, this I know. But sometimes what we know in our heads does not move our hearts. And think about it God is crazy about us he desires us burns with affection for us but for many of us the great love of God just feels vague it's not that we don't believe it's true but for some reason it it doesn't sink in And I know this doesn't describe all of us, but I think we might be surprised at just how many Christians, followers of Jesus, struggle to comprehend the simple idea that God loves them. But I think it's understandable. I mean, one thing we do know really well is ourselves, right? We know who we are, We know our past sins and our present flaws. We know all the ways we fall short. We know that we are imperfect, broken. We know that there's a lot about us that is unlovable. I think we would all say that. Maybe uh, some of us feel utterly lovable. I don't know. Congratulations. But I think most of us probably are well aware of all of our flaws. And we feel, at least to a measure, unlovable. So we're up against the great challenge of reconciling two realities that don't mix well. I am, as C.S. Lewis put it, a small, dirty object. And yet, this other reality, God loves me. It doesn't make sense. And we sometimes find ourselves, at least I do, looking for reasons for God to love us. But the more we think about it, the more it doesn't really make sense. I mean, why in the world would a perfect, holy God love sinful creatures like us? Why would he want relationship with us? To put it in dating terms, he is way out of our league. Or think about the qualities a couple might look for in a child when considering adoption. You know, they want a cute child. Or maybe they want a child who has a nice disposition. Or perhaps a child who seems like they'd be appreciative or that they would have chemistry with. No couple says, we want the ugliest, neediest, most rebellious child that you have. Although maybe some couples do actually ask for something like that because of God's love moving them. But this is what God does. He invites the ugly, the sinful, the wretched, the downcast, the poor, the needy, the ones no one wants, the ones that society has written off, the ones that have even committed unspeakable crimes. He makes them his beloved sons and daughters. So when you think about it, it's pretty hard to believe I mean, this certainly isn't the way the world works, right? I mean, society cancels people for all kinds of reasons. Society throws people in prison and are often happy to throw away the key. I won't name names. Families sometimes disown certain members. People dump each other in romantic relationships. Parents abandon children. Children run away. The whole system of the world is built on ungrace, But God is able to look past all our flaws and love us still. He can take the worst specimen of humanity and turn that person into someone beautiful in virtue. It's called his redeeming love. When I was writing this, it made me think of this documentary I watched uh, years ago. I think it was made or produced or something by Brooklyn Tabernacle. And it's about this work of God in a particular prison. Maybe you've heard of it called Angola, the Louisiana State Penitentiary. It has a history of It doesn't have a good history. It's not a a fun place to be at all. Many of the prisoners have life sentences. They say the average sentence is 88 to 90 years. Um, There's been conditions of abuse in that prison. But the redeeming love of God is at work powerfully in that place, rescuing people. And I think the documentary featured several different people who had been moved by God's love and had been transformed. But it's like a whole mo- hundreds of people coming to faith in that place. I kind of went down the the rabbit hole last night. Ended up watching, kind of on the later side. This I just looked. I just googled uh, Angola Brooklyn Tabernacle and. All of a sudden a picture of Pastor Cymbola came up and oh, all right, let me just I don't know, I just started listening to it and got drawn in. So Pastor Simbola is kind of talking about Angola and what God is doing there and God's love for for you know the, the kind of the worst. And and then he introduces this kid who I guess when He was 16. He had an altercation and ended up killing somebody and really injuring badly someone else. And so he had a life sentence on him. And just long story short, he ended up, by God's grace, by literally a change of law um, in Louisiana, he ended up getting out and getting married. And so he introduces this guy, Ron Oliver, and, and his wife, and Ron gets up, and he, he just, is basically for like a half an hour, just shares his story. And I, I am just, I just lost it last night. I'm just sitting on, on my couch watching this thing and just, just bawling, you know, at what God does, God's unfathomable redeeming love for even the worst. And, you know, Ron talked about how he was, I think he said something like 18 months in solitary confinement, which I think is like 23 hours a day or something crazy. I mean, I forgot exactly the details, but it was like a ridiculous amount of time to be in a tiny room alone. I mean, just months and months and months and months. And he said the glory of God was just so powerful that he was just in that place feasting and communing and enjoying sweet fellowship with God. 1 Corinthians 1 puts it this way. You know, when you think of why does God recruit his converts in places like Angola prison. But scripture says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are So, what we need repeatedly in our Christian life is a fresh revelation of this great love of God. You know, it's one thing to have an accurate knowledge of the Bible teaching on God's love, and it's another thing to experience it. And by the way, knowledge is important, and there is something So essential about the quiet, just steady reading of scripture and really understanding the doctrines of the Bible and taking the time and the quietness to contemplate on the great love of God. That all plays into it. But then there's these moments of encounter. We need an encounter with God's love. So many of us need to hear God speak to us about how he feels about us. We need to experience the affection of God, the embrace of God, to feel something of his fiery passion for us. This is precisely why St. Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, He prayed that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength. He's talking about spiritual strength, supernatural strength that comes from God, you know, that we might have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. <clears throat> I remember, um, I was thinking about this, this week, I remember this, um, young adult retreat that I went on as a, as a new Christian. I was about two years old in the Lord, maybe 23, 24 years old. The spirit was moving. This is kind of outside of New York City. The spirit was moving powerfully upon the gathering. Maybe there was 75 of us or 100 of us. People were moved to tears and longing, it was kind of a nighttime gathering, you know, a three day retreat or whatever. it was an outdoor gathering uh, in a in a tent i don 't remember too much about it, but I was feeling a little disconnected from what everyone else was experiencing. Have you been there? You know people are just like moved and crying, and I'm like, i don't know, okay so I kind of This is a very introvert move, but I kind of left the meeting and went out behind the tent to have a private conversation with God. (laughs) Now, keep in mind that I was, at the time, totally devoted to Jesus. We went to church four to five times a week when we lived in New York City. Um, I had a strong prayer life. I shared the gospel with people. I was walking uprightly, you know, fighting against sin daily in my life. I definitely have the Holy Spirit. But when I went behind the tent, I said in so many words to God, do you really love me? I mean, I get how you could love me many of the people around me, but do you love me? I know who I am. I know the things I've done in my life. It doesn't make any sense for you to love me. And I'm pretty sure the Lord didn't let me even finish speaking before he sort of squeezed me with his affection, kind of overwhelmed me. With his love. And somehow he made me know in that moment what he felt about me. And of course, I wept rivers of tears. It was maybe my first major breakthrough in understanding the love of God. And I had been a Christian for at least two years. At that point. We really need God to make his love real to us. Even if we experience it at times, guess what? We forget. We just forget. And we fall right back into our old ways of just vaguely grasping God's love. We need fresh, repeated encounters. <laughs> now, when Christ was born into the world, he dramatically displayed how, how much God loves people, right? But the love of God was not a new concept you know, that Jesus came and, and brought into the world. The revelation of God's love existed before Jesus came, thousands of years before that. God's people caught occasional glimpses of God's love. Here's just a few examples. Zephaniah 3.17. This is the Old Testament. The Lord, your God, is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Micah 7, I love this one. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He, God, does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. (laughs) So there are some of these wonderful declarations of the prophets of old, but really the revelation of God's love became exponential when God came to earth and dwelt among Us, as one of us. John chapter one, verse 14 says, the word, this is speaking of Jesus. It's one of his names, the word of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus said that to see him was to see the Father. Christ was a living, moving, breathing demonstration of what the Lord is like in his personality. I mean, in the Old Testament, God's love was revealed often through words, right? Pictures, or sometimes through the tangible acts of God uh, providing for the people or defending the people in some way, But in Jesus, we see the emotions of God up close. Jesus demonstrated love in a variety of ways. I mean, we see him lavishing love on children. Jesus let the little ones come to him, kind of enjoying his company. We see Jesus showing wonderful mercy to the sinful woman caught in adultery. That famous story. Many accusers surrounded her to uh, stone her to death, but Jesus stepped in and advocated for her. He often shared meals with an unsavory bunch who were considered society's worst sinners. He had friendship with the poor, he showed compassion to the lepers. They were uh, sort of the untouchables of society. He cared for the prostitutes and the corrupt tax collectors. His love transcended cultural barriers and led him into geographic areas where Jews were not welcome. When Peter, his follower, really messed up, and he did mess up, outrightly denied even knowing Jesus, Jesus, actually the Bible says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus didn't condemn or scold, but he forgave and restored Peter. We see Jesus stooping in lowly servanthood, washing the feet of his friends. One of the most famous of all the stories Jesus ever told was that of the prodigal son that shows us so much of the love of God. He tells of a a young man who lived selfishly and squandered his inheritance. And yet he returns to find a dad not only willing to forgive, but to celebrate his return. He was revealing to us the sort of father that God is, who takes great delight when sinners come home and are reconciled. We read in Scripture how Jesus was moved with compassion and wept over people, even people who rejected him. Was that a car (laughs) or a (laughs) go-kart? But Jesus longed to bless people, to be gracious and to pull people toward himself. I mean, he loved his worst enemies. Even after being arrested, beaten, whipped, mocked and nailed to a tree, he still prayed, Father, forgive them because they really do not know the full extent of what they're doing right now. That's my paraphrase. But what kind of love is this? The Bible says God is love. God is love. But that only makes as much sense as we understand what love is, right? You know, so often, like, where do we find our definitions or our examples of Love. In, in in I don't know in our in our friends in, in the society and school teachers and 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 coaches and different authority figures. Well, we've all been disappointed by so many people. Maybe by our parents. Maybe we've been blessed to have really really amazing wonderful parents. But like many of us didn't have that, and so we 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 have we've had, we have broken parents or we have broken friendships or we had you know coaches that were twisted or. Principles of our schools that were kind of, um, you know, kind of crazy or whatever. This world—it's hard to find perfect examples of love. So when we say God is love, we're talking about an otherworldly love. We're talking about a love that—that's like nothing in this world. Even the best example you can think of, the best human example of love in your life, maybe it's your mom, maybe it's some friend, it's an older saint that you've known for a long time, it still pales in comparison with the unfathomable love of God. Romans 5 says God shows or demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it's possible, as I said before, to hear about God's love or to hear all these wonderful examples of God's massive love for us, but still not get it. So what are we supposed to do about that? What are we supposed to do about our own sort of dullness in understanding? Listen, even the disciples didn't even get the resurrection. They didn't even get the fullness of, of who God was and who Christ was. I mean, they just it, the Bible says it seemed to them like a fairy tale. Like they just couldn't grasp it. It was just so enormous. So it's so beyond just well, I just got to study it and think it through and you'll get it. No, it's it's not just about study. We need God to sort of awaken the heart. It's something only God can do. Well, we can ask God to help us to really to do what only he can do and to give us that fresh revelation of God's love. It's exactly what the Holy Spirit is good at. It's it's part of what he does is he takes the wonder, the beauty, the greatness, the vastness, the just the, the holiness of Christ, and he and he kind of makes it known to our puny little minds. Ask and keep asking until it comes. Here's one of my favorite promises, Luke. Chapter 11, verses 9 to 13. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone. That's pretty broad there, right? For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And Jesus reasons even further here. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish will instead of a fish give him a serpent or if he asks for an egg we'll give him a scorpion if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will the heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him let's put this promise to the test the holy spirit will be given an answer to persistent prayer. And he will shed the love of God abroad in our hearts. He will manifest the glory of the love of Jesus to us. Sometimes we, uh, we hear the question asked, maybe you've been asked this question, what is the greatest moment of your entire life, you know, what comes to mind for you? You know, we might think of a, I do have this memory. I wasn't a great baseball player, but I did at one point hit a home run in Leahy Field, and it was like, oh, I was just on a cloud. It's a big fence. This is in East Long Meadow, I think it is, and there's just, oh, man, it was such a moment. But maybe it's uh, you know dancing with a girl you had a crush on in middle school, or jumping out of an airplane. That could have been a great moment or a terrible moment. Going backstage to hang out with your favorite band. I bet for some of you it was when your first child was born. That was a great moment for me. I almost missed it because my wife was taking so long. So long, so I'm like, I'm just going for a walk. I gotta get some fresh air. And I mean, she was like on the line, it was like barely dilated and everything. I mean, it was like this is gonna take like 20 hours. I I go out for about half an hour. I come back in, and the doctor at the little station outside the room is like, if you're the day, you better get in there. Your wife's having a baby. And uh and I just come and like from across the room, whoa. Okay, I saw the top of my daughter's head. That was an amazing moment. Actually, more amazing was when she came out. <laughs> and I was uh, just uh, having a conversation with her. And I I just remember whole, she was really quiet and just having a conversation, just talking with her and just telling her all about Jesus and, and just talking to her about the mission field and just basically... <laughs> Telling her what she's going to be doing for the rest of her life. <laughs> I planned it all right there, you know, just this is what's going to happen. And just kind of prophesying over her. And it was just such a sweet moment. It's funny, it was really disappointing when Maddie came along uh, a couple of years later. <laughs> you know, Taylor came out looking like this pristine little angel. She wasn't even, like, dirty. Maddie came out like, I guess the cord was, like, tangled probably and it was like upsetting her but when they got the cord off her I mean she's like (laughs) and she cried for like two hours straight she loves this story because they couldn't even put her in the room with all the other little you know they had to put her in a because she was upsetting all of the babies with her loud lungs but there was no like beautiful moment of like holding Maddie after it was like she just was inconsolable um It's funny because she is kind of dramatic to this day. Anyways, but what is your favorite moment? Maybe it was catching a big fish. I don't know. You know. (laughs) But for many of us, the greatest moments in our life in a category far above anything else have been times when we have experienced the tangible love of Christ when somehow, some way, God made us know his great love for us. He floods the heart with love. I mean, the heart can barely contain that, that sort of love, right? You, you feel like the walls of your heart are just going to almost burst open. It's like nothing else in all the world. I know that this sort of thing is much more than an emotional experience because of the way it changes us, right? I mean, I know it changes me. I'm softer. I'm renewed within. I'm suddenly in a place where Christ feels near. Have you ever gotten to this point where you feel so much of the love of God streaming through you that you feel like you can just stop praying, you can stop using words, because He's so close that you know that just your thoughts are being perceived by Him and your your little groans. I mean, those kind of encounters—they're life changing. I want more of them. I've had a bunch of them, you know, through the years, but I'm praying for this Christmas maybe or in 2024 that maybe some of the greatest encounters that I would ever have with God's love. Moses came to a point in his life when it was as if he couldn't take the fact of God being veiled anymore, right? I mean, he knew God. He was an old man uh, at this point, but he... Requested of the Lord, show me your glory. What was he saying? Like, I, I know, I know who you are, I know your ways, I, I know all about you, I know your works, I know. I mean, Moses had a good theology, Moses had knowledge, Moses had wisdom, but he kind of gets to this point, and he's like, Oh God, I just I want to I want to see you, I'm gonna show me your glory. Like, let me grasp something of the, just the vastness of it, the eternal nature of it, just how great it really is. Manifest yourself to me, Moses prayed. And you know what? God didn't say, come on, Moses, calm down, getting a little emotional. You know, is not the knowledge of me enough? No, God God doesn't reprimand Moses at all. And he didn't ignore the request either. He answered the prayer. The Lord opened the eyes of Moses and revealed himself as abounding in steadfast love. And this invitation to behold The glory of God and gaze on the beauty and great love of God is now open to us. Praise God. I'm convinced that if we would ask for God's love in greater portions, he would graciously pour it out. He's eager to do it. John Tyson who's a pastor in New York City, he often says, God comes where he's wanted. May we want him this Christmas and may we want him more in 2024 than we have ever wanted him before in our lives. Amen. Thank you for listening. We're going to have the musicians the two musicians. (laughs) I can't say the band. I guess it's the band. It's a small band. Uh, They're going to come back up and do a couple songs for us to close us out. Is it two songs or one song? Two? Okay. And so if you guys want to stand together, let's just respond to the great love of God right now. And if it does feel a little vague to us, even after this message, it still feels vague. Maybe that's your honest Uh, confession, it's okay. You know, we've all been there. We get there. It happens. Like, this is just part of the being a fallen creature. And it's just part of the human experience. But what we can do in these moments is hunger and thirst and say, God, show me your glory. God, I ask for a revelation, a fresh revelation of the love of God. Lord, I need that in my life. And just begin to pray. And maybe it'll happen right in the next five minutes, but it might not. Maybe it'll happen tomorrow. Maybe it'll happen on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or maybe sometime in the new year. These things sometimes take time. I'm not sure why it works exactly like that. I wish everything was just, you could just snap your fingers and it would just happen but God has his perfect timing. But I do know this, that when we hunger and when we thirst for him and when we ask him to show us his glory, he hears us. And so let's make use of this time that we have together. Amen.